Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Well, it might be a big city, but it's a small world. I've just finished recording a future episode of the show this morning, and my guest ushered me into a gallery on Princelet Street, which happens at the moment to be showing an exhibition of photographs from 1912. Runs until nearly the end of the month. I'd strongly recommend you get along. Just a small exhibition. But according to the gallery owner, with whom I stopped to have a chat, one of the most successful that the gallery has staged. And, of course, I asked him about the others. And of those that he mentioned, one of the artists has drawn a lot of illustrations of East End types. And that seemed to ring a bell somehow. And I said, that wouldn't happen to be something that ended up in a book by Hoxton Mini Press, would it? And he said, well, yeah, absolutely. And I said, oh, well, so you'll know Martin Usborne and Anne Waldvogel. And he said, yes, uh, what fantastic people they are. And, uh, well, uh, I can only agree, but you can make your own mind up because they're today's guests. It's Friday the 4th of April, 2014. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. This is Londonist Out Loud. Hey, baby, let me take you down So we'll play some strange sights and sound You ain't never seen the light before Just a song through from your front door been debating whether or not to describe today's setting as being suburban. I don't think it quite is, but it's certainly the sort of place where you would set up home, and indeed we are in the home of today's guests. Um, so we're setting the potentially suburban against the very urban as we meet Anne Waldvogel, who is the person who runs and produces the Hoxton Mini Press, and Martin Usborne, who's the creative director and also a full-time photographer. And what is the relationship between you guys? Uh, we are married. That would explain that. <laughs> <laughs> Good to meet you both. Um, we perhaps could uh, start off by describing the locale, because I've walked along a long street of terraced houses, and I was just trying to get a sort of a flavour of this part of town. Where, are we in Hoxton or London Fields right now? We're in London Fields at the moment. We were previously in Hoxton Square, and that's sort of where the, the name of the company came from. That's where we started out. But we've been living around here for about two years now. And you've come all the way over. All the way, yes, all the way from Hoxton Square. Long journey. <laughs> it's quite an interesting area. I've, I've not really poked around in, in this bit of town before, and it seems to me like the architecture is rather contradictory. Right next to estates, you've got cottages with flowers and plants growing up the front of them, and there's shops that look like they've been here since uh, Edwardian times. What, what do you make of the, um, the the architecture of the area? I, I find it amazing you call it suburban because we've um, we when we were living in Hoxton Square, it was about as urban as you get we actually moved because of the uh, constant sort of 24-hour noise and we've only come about five minutes up the road so it's nice to feel this could be suburban but the area is is much like a lot of Hackney just full of amazing contradictions clashing cultures um this particular area, uh, we're very lucky to live just near London Fields, which is a wonderful park. Um, but as you say, there's just a, a huge array of different houses and um, different people. And um, the area's come really changed enormously in the last 10 years, um, and as has most of the area, most of Hackney as well. So um, we, we absolutely love it here. We couldn't think of anywhere better to live. 
Well, I should say that the home we're in at the moment, and I, w- I won't go into too much detail because it's your home, but it's a, f- a feast of white, one of those lovely, uh, minimalist, breezy-feeling places, and it's uh, clear to me that the people who inhabit this space have their eyes in. Maybe we could start by talking about the, the genesis of Hoxton Mini Press, which I think Martin lives with you. Yeah, well, so I'm a full-time photographer, and I, um, a number of years ago, I don't know how many now, maybe seven or eight years ago, um, I saw an old man walking through Hoxton Square, which at the time, and I suppose still is, was one of the sort of epicentres of young cool in East London. And there was this old man looking very dilapidated um, with a plastic bag and talking randomly to the sort of neon youth. And I just thought, how out of place this guy looks. And, and I put on my slightly pretentious photographer's hat and I thought you know I'll go and photograph him and I'll win an award um for how you know how how old and strange this guy looks and as I as I spoke to him I I realized he wasn't quite who I thought he was he wasn't he you know he wasn't homeless he wasn't lost he wasn't he was actually one of the few people that really belonged to the area um I was um from North London and uh, most of the other people in the square probably weren't brought up in the area but he was this man who'd lived here all his life and what started off as a single portrait became um uh, a long friendship actually and over a course of three or four years I photographed him regularly on the streets and actually eventually in his home and we ended up going to the cinema together a lot and I got to know him and and I, and I thought well you know I ought to make some sort of book about his history and about the history of the area and um he didn't want to do that at all he didn't want to tell me about the history of Shoreditch he wanted to tell me about uh, Lady Gaga and Nicolas Cage because he would go to the uh he would go to the library and read slightly out of date books about celebrities and come back with a mine of information about um uh, sort of Nicholas, Nicholas Cage's mother's sister's um, heritage and um, Johnny Depp. And did you know that Johnny Depp's mother was half Cherokee Indian and things? Um, and he's just a very endearing guy. But actually through that relationship, I discovered parts uh, about East London and also, I guess, parts about life that I hadn't discovered before. And um, so I made it into a book and it became... Um, it, it, was, it was a personal project, but it sold out in a, in a few months. And I thought... Well, maybe there's something about doing books about the kind of hidden corners of East London. Um, and, um, and, and later, when I met Anne, we decided that we could try and turn this into a, a, a publishing company idea. So it all really came from Joseph Markovich, the old man that I met that time. People who've been in uh, certainly East London bookshops will recognise that description of the old fellow with the always with a carrier bag. I think always with a carrier bag, always with a orange juice inside, and um, some other random object here. If we're doing this chronologically, of course, Anne, we have to leave you out of the picture for uh, some time because it sounds as though you don't quite arrive on the scene yet. But when no, I, I haven't. I think when I arrived on the scene, Martin had already made the first version of the book that was sort of more like a pamphlet. It was just a um, softback book that was the first version of it. Um, so, so talk to me then about your impressions here, because one thing that we, we often find ourselves saying about East London, and, and maybe specifically this part, but with the regeneration, I guess, across to um, Stratford and the, the gentrification of the East End and so forth, this has been a fast-changing area, perhaps mm-hmm. more so than other parts of London. And when you arrived here from, uh, where, direct from the States, what, what did you think of it? Oh gosh. Um, well, I have to say that when I when I first moved to London from the states, which is about eight or nine years ago, I first lived in Fulham, um, which is a completely different um, in every possible way to East London. And then I moved to Hackney about. Um, five or six years ago and I moved right on Toxin Square for work um, I was running an art gallery at the time and I sort of instantly fell in love with it it was um, it sort of felt much more personally to me kind of more sincere to then living in Fulham had um, and just also much more dynamic and creative and and interesting um, and so 
That's that's very interesting because the and I guess we've got to face this issue head on is that Hoxton has had a reputation for um, sort of pretension, I suppose. Mm, mm. So, what what was it that you were seeing that, that was authentic there? How did well, that I'm not work? sure. Yeah, I, I don't think that I would say that Hoxton Square so much was more authentic, but just sort of the the whole um, sort of environs and, and surrounding areas and. Just really also the the mix of people, I think, as well. Sort of, you know, you can see the people who had just moved to the area. Um, there was so much more kind of creativity, I felt. So many, you know, the younger generation, art students, galleries, and then also the mix of the people that had been there for, for so much longer than anyone else that like myself, had just moved into the area. Is this tension imaginary? And if I was going to set it up, I would try and recreate it along the lines that you've got so people getting along in their area, usually in a, a place that's economically less well-off, and then because of the lower prices of accommodation uh, a bunch of artists mm. blow in uh, particularly if there's a bit of warehousing or industrial buildings going for arts space and uh, creative purposes and never the twain shall meet and somehow the process of bringing art or bringing cash or new premises you know a little niche cafe or something like that is somehow objectionable to people in the area and that there's some sort of aura of falseness around those mm. who've come in to do art. is that is that a reasonable way of looking at it how do you yeah. deconstruct that I totally understand it. And I'm also acutely aware that, you know, that we're not East Londoners and we're not pretending that we sort of are born here and we know the area. But there's, you know, a huge number of different cultures and different people in the area. And, and we, we've all got a voice and a story to tell. Um, so what we're trying to do with Hox and Mini Press is just engage with all of that. Um, but in terms of the... Um, sort of clash between the gentrification and the kind of real East London, if you know, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, I rem- there was a great quote, I think, attributed to Alexander McQueen, where he said uh, he was working in Hoxton and one day he looked out of his window and everyone had mullets, um, a hair down the back of the neck, and the next day his rent doubled and he had to move out. And I think that kind of um, sums it up slightly. But we, we're working on a book at the moment um, with a quite well-known photographer called Zed Nelson, who has lived in Hackney all his life. So he does have a pretty unique perspective on this. And, you know, he said to me the other day that um, he feels a bit torn. On the one hand, you know, Broadway Market now does have fantastic places to eat and great coffee shops. And, and, and it is much, much more sort of it's safer and it's cleaned up. And that's wonderful. And no one would deny that. But at the same time, the very people that lived there... Um, when they were young now can't afford to live there um now that they got older so you know swings both ways isn't there something though about the uh, the, the sharpness of the eye of somebody who is less familiar with an area somebody who comes new to it who's able to to see things perhaps in a in a different way perhaps even more sharply i think one becomes uh, inured to a place if you see it every day you don't see it um maybe it requires uh, fresh blood to uh, to see a place well, I mean, it's strange for me because I I, I was brought up in um, North London. I went to school in Camden. And, you know, I I remember as a child thinking the worst place you could possibly live would be near the Heath. It seemed to me the most depressing place ever because um, I I hated my school. Um, You know, I was bullied at school and I associated that area, you know, and I, and I, I, I always thought, living somewhere which was a bit more sort of urban was the most wonderful thing ever so in one has a completely different take on things you know according to your your background you've moved away from small town virginia yeah and find yourselves in the the thick of the city yes that's right it's um certainly a a very different place than than my very small town in virginia (laughs) Um, in every possible way um which is not a bad thing Let's uh, let's look at the uh, some of the publications, and I, I should say as well that if people haven't come across your work, Martin, through the pictures of the the chat with the carrier bag, they may well know you through I think pictures of foxes. Well, um, yeah, I've done I do quite a lot of animal pictures. I've done a, a book of, uh, about um, using a stuffed fox that I placed around parts of London. Um, yes, what the devil was that all about? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I just like the idea of photographing a stuffed fox and getting people's reactions. Um, and actually, I'm going to develop, develop that for another book in the series. But um, I also do did a book called Dogs in Cars, um, pictures of dogs at night time looking out of car windows. Um, but it's important to say that Hoxham Mini Press, we, we are really working with 
lots of different artists it's um photographers and illustrators from uh, uh, all walks of life well perhaps we can unpack that a little okay <laughs> the first one at the top of the pile here is the chap in question in the last conversation i've lived in east london for 86 and a half years so this is um the uh, wonderful joseph markovich who sadly um passed away uh, on boxing day um last year and uh he really was one of a kind he um as it says he's lived here all his life i think he left london once or maybe twice to go to the seaside with his mother he never had a relationship he said he didn't have a relationship because he had too bad chest catar um but he said he was grateful that he never had a wife otherwise he would have been domineered and he'd probably be dead by now he had a he had a very <laughs> unique and funny sort of take on life uh, he did say that if he had got married it would have been to a six foot two scandinavian um or maybe a Spanish woman, if if she'd been charming, but he he had a very a real lightness about him. Some some things were quite sad. He he had a quite solitary life, but he was always um, full of humour and kindness. He was a very kind man. And every time I had an expectation about what he would say or how he would be, he proved me wrong. Um, so it was a sort of journey for me um, to discover about him and. Um, and we became firm friends. And um, when I met him, he said his favourite thing ever was to go to the cinema. And I asked him how long since he had last seen a film. And he said uh, 20, 20 years. And I, I didn't understand. So we took him out to see a movie. Um, and he said he wants to see uh, action movies. Um, so we went to see the James Bond at the time. And he laughed every time there was an explosion. Not because he is sort of... Uh, <clears throat> sort of manically uh, obsessed with that kind of thing but just because he always saw he saw the humor in in life and he thought that it was so ridiculous that he just burst out laughing all the time um he used to go to the local church um he was jewish but he liked the um, people in the sandwiches at the local church and um i remember him saying to me that he got his fellow um, churchgoers to go to the cinema with him a kind of elderly group and I said oh what what have you seen and he said I just we've just seen Piranha 3 Double D and I said um, how was that and he just burst out laughing he thought it was a hilarious movie <laughs> so he, the, we regenerated his, his love of cinema um, and I think it got me into a part of East London that I didn't know I mean I was young creative probably annoying probably want to be trendy and here was this man who showed me something that was probably a bit more real and I think that's really what what Hawks and Mini Press is about we're trying to do books which are both artistic and creative and yeah we do love good design we do love beautiful books but also something that's real that shows stories about East London that aren't the obvious stories I want to come back and talk a little bit more about the usualness, I suppose, of that level of engagement with the subject for any photographer. It seems to me quite atypical to have uh, such a relationship with a, um, a subject. And perhaps we can talk about the varying relationships between photographer and photographed. Uh, but I want to talk about the books first, because you, you mentioned the production of them and the, the production values, the quality of them, and uh, they're be- beautiful objects. How do you conceptualise them? What, what are the strategies you have as you put a book together? Anne? Well, I think that one of the main things that we're trying to do with the books is produce something of very high quality, but really to make something that's a beautiful object um, in and of itself. We, of course, uh, you know, value the photography and the story as well, but it's sort of the, the overall package as the book of, as object is something that we're really interested in, um, which we think is especially important at the moment as well as so much information is becoming digital and sort of throwaway that the, not, not necessarily throwaway, but um, with sort of ebooks and different, you know, information I think is taken in um, in a different level now. And so we want to make books that are something that people really cherish, not only for their content, but as an object as well. Is this equivalent to framing a painting? Um, I've never thought of it like that, I don't think. Um, I suppose in some ways it could be. Um, but at the same time, I think framing a painting is different than owning a book or having it. I mean, a frame can sort of, um, I guess 
lift a painting or lift a, a piece of artwork to to a different level it can help you see it better sometimes um and, and also doesn't it say this thing here is special this is right. worth looking stop and stop and take a look at right. this I, I wonder if there's that quality yeah. going on yeah i think there is i mean it's you know we want to make something that's sort of um that's beautiful to look at that's you know tactile that feels nice that that has that element to it so so i suppose there is that as well that we're hoping that people will see it and think this is something special how, how do you go about making the book uh, tactile um <laughs> get it printed yeah <laughs> make it exist make it into a book <laughs> not a pdf basically right it, it sounds as though I'm, I'm wondering what the model is you're working against here because i don't consume photography to any or not consciously anyway to in any great volume um what, what sort of thing have you got in mind when you're talking about the electronic uh electronic pictures well i mean uh, i mean photography now is consumed i would say mostly on the internet you know if you're looking at pictures uh, a series of pictures they'll be viewed on a screen probably um occasionally in a gallery um um occasionally occasionally closed up you know in a book um as a photographer i think that the final resting place for any project that i do i would like to be in a book it feels to me like it's natural home um why i don't know it's uh, i mean it's it's just something inherently beautiful about the printed page and it feels like you know there's so there's a, such a pollution now of Im- imagery online that if there's something special to say and show it feels like it should be you know in a beautiful book and that book now has to justify its its physical existence more and more because um it just, it, it, you know, if it sits on the coffee table, it has to have a reason to be there. Um, and we want to make the object as beautiful as possible uh, in a slightly obsessive way. We we really are, you know, I mean, I, we spent three months debating whether to put a um, a bit of cloth down the spine or, 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 or not, um, how that would look on the shelf. Um, all the books in this series of photography that we're doing are all going to be the same size and they'll all be numbered one, two, three, four, five. So there'll be a sense of collectability about them. And you can look around our room. We've just got hundreds and hundreds of photography books. And there's something uh, I have to admit that some of these books I've looked at once, but it's not just, (laughs) it's not just, it's not just about looking at the books. It's about ownership. Um, and, uh, Is there a sort of a fetishize, uh, fetishization going on there? Yeah, there might be a little bit of my sort of, you know, um, obsessiveness coming in here, but it's, 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 it's nice to own beautiful books. You know, that's one of the bottom lines of it. I guess there's there's also uh, you know, I spend quite a bit of time in Brick Lane and I've never seen so many photographers in my life uh, and it's yeah. uh, I don't I don't really know what street photography means except photography taking it in the street I suppose it can't be as simple as that can it there, there seem to be uh, an endless number of people with enormous zoom lenses sometimes even taking photographs of each other taking photographs yeah. it seems to me that that must create more photographic material than anyone could possibly hope to consume uh, and I wonder how you go about making uh, selections when it comes to photographs is it a sort of a, a situation where you're a sniper and you go out you know what you want and you hit that target and then you put it on the page or is there a more of a, a machine gun approach and then you then you select what you think works speaking personally i think that you have to sort of shoot from the heart as it were you have to do something that's deeply personal and very focused because um, otherwise it won't stand out you know the only, the only chance i think one has of doing a unique project is to do it from your own unique point of view and so um that project with joseph was a, was was about was sort of you know it's about him but it was about my relationship with him really well it's interesting because you said when you first saw him you had preconceptions about what he was so your your personal view actually was shaping things in this other way yeah. do you find that very often that your preconceptions will yeah. uh, will be altered yeah yeah no i think I, I approached it foolishly and egotistically which i think is a normal starting point for projects and then you know the reality crept in he he crept in you know he showed me that you know it was different and 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 that's how the project grew really i realized it wasn't really about you know it wasn't really about my my beliefs it was about who he was and uh yeah i do think that's true but i think i think when we look for new books with other photographers we're looking for something something that's also very sort of personal and meaningful 
and not generic. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, we've been really lucky starting out, um, mainly because Martin is a photographer and we know a lot of photographers that are working in the area. Well, that's handy to have a photographer it, on board, it right? It is, yeah, yeah. It's made things um, a lot easier, I suppose, in some ways. But so um, we do have sort of a network of photographers that we know that are working in the area and that have done projects that we've sort of approached and started to collaborate with. But, I mean, we're... We're also always kind of on the lookout for new artists, new photographers, new illustrators that are working in the area or have done projects on the area. So it is something that we're sort of actively looking for, but but certain with you know a strong curatorial eye as well because there is so mm. much so much out there yes and it sounds as though the mini clearly it's a cottage business on the one hand but the mini also seems to refer to the, the personal and the intimate in the theme of the photography or i don't know do, do you have any sort of sweeping vistas in the the work you produce or is it uh, is it as intimate as some of the ones we've seen here well i mean i, I think one of the the things that we really enjoy is that narrative aspect to to a project and this idea of kind of local stories um, by local people is is something that we're really interested in. The, the Joseph Project, I think, is a very unique one because it was a very long developed series. I mean, Martin was, you know, became very, very close to Joseph, which is quite unusual. And the project was about you know, six, seven years in the making, really, um, which obviously makes for a very intimate project that is not something that's easy to, to find or to recreate. With your knowledge of other photographers' work, are there any uh, comparisons that you can make in terms of the depth of that relationship or uh, uh, perhaps relationships that have lasted even longer and uh, resulted in great photography? I mean, I, 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 yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know a lot of very serious photographers and the dedication is unbelievable. I mean, six, seven years, nothing for a personal project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's people who, you know, I'm lucky enough to have uh, projects that I work on on my doorstep. It's a luxury. Some people go off to China and do projects on, you know, illegal la- landscapes where they have to break through fences and they do it for 10 years, you know. And, and so you do need that dedication now to to stand out, I think. Tell me about that. What are the qualities inherent in the picture that are there because of the depth of the relationship that wouldn't otherwise be there? Oh, I don't know if it's in a single picture. I don't know if it's something to do with the shape and the colour. It's more to do with, you know, if you need to look at a whole series of pictures generally, and they all need to sort of echo each other. And through the series of pictures, you begin to build up um, a voice. And it's like, it's like with anything. It's like, I guess, you know, reading a book. You know, there's a sense of style that comes out only through reading a number of paragraphs or pages. And I don't think that's something that you can you can fake. I think it has to come from somewhere quite quite deep. That's just my view on it, I suppose. Um, yeah. How do you go? Because I, I I write, so I'm conscious of telling stories. I mean, I'm not. No, that's not not quite right to call it writing. I tell stories, and so I'm conscious of driving towards a particular message or allowing a particular facet of the character to come through what I'm saying. It's writing with a purpose always. To what extent do you sort of control the imagery and guide the viewer of the photograph towards a particular understanding? How how much are you trying to communicate through the pictures? Um, I I think photography is entirely subjective. You know, I think portraiture... if If a photographer sits down and takes a portrait of someone then the portrait is probably more of the photographer than it is of the person. You know, imagine Kate Moss, you know, there's a Testino picture of Kate Moss or there's a picture by someone else. They're completely different and they say more about what the photographer intends and how the photographer sees that person. And the same is true with uh, this project. If anyone else had known Joseph for six years, they would have done a completely different project. Um, But nevertheless, Joseph is in that. Um, in that story obviously too so it's really I would say a a picture of our relationship but whether or not you start with a particular idea in mind and I don't don't think that's true I think you have to be open to you know the project has to develop on, on its own accord but I don't think it's possible to take the photographer out of that 
equation so it's always very much a personal subjective point of view you mentioned the curatorial aspect of um, well of your work history but also of the projects here and I, mm-hmm. i'm wondering Anne, whether you find yourselves in disagreement at any point over what should go in and uh, what should be left out and which one's the, the better picture and so forth how do you uh, approach those sort of issues do they arise uh, they arise um maybe every minute of every day (laughs) I think Martin and I both have very strong opinions and very differing opinions um, a lot of the time the the body language here listener is something to behold (laughs) Um, no it's um, Martin always says that I either like things or I hate them I, I I do think that I have you know quite quite firm views of things but we've worked through it we're <laughs> making books still creative and it's tension, all <laughs> creative tension yeah <laughs> tell me about that process how do you go about uh, resolving a disagreement about a picture I'm not actually sure that we've had that many major disagreements so far about in terms of what images to include yeah. or or things like that it's sort of been more about more about colors or, you know, what colors will the end papers be or um, <laughs> things like that. But it hasn't been anything. Uh, I'm not really sure how we've worked through those. Um, I think one of us, probably me, has just given in in the no, end. No, that's, how, that's how you see it. That's how, you know, we have to compromise. And we do have slightly different roles yeah. in the process. I mean, the book about Joseph has very much been my project and, and you know, you manage certain aspects of, of the production and I manage other aspects. Um, but we do, we do both have very strong opinions, which I think is better than both having very weak opinions yeah. and having creative discussions every day about how we can make the projects better, which I think is essential. Well, we're going to come back after uh, a break that's inserted uh, partly so that our sponsor can get their message across and partly so that some uh, matrimonial making up can go on uh, behind the scenes. And we'll be back with Anne Waldvogel and Martin Osborne and looking at some of the other productions from Hoxton Mini Press. Londonist Out Loud is sponsored by Audible. To claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles, try the Audible service on 30-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to a CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk slash Londonist and click through. Well, yes, we're here in Hoxton. Well, we're here in uh, London Fields, in fact, but we're, we're near Hoxton and we're mentioning Hoxton a lot. And, uh, well, I wondered, because we're in the area, perhaps we could say a few interesting things that people might not know about London Fields, Hoxton area. What do you know about your neighbourhood? What do I know about London Fields? Um, it's, it's always changing. Um, it's full of every different face and race and religion imaginable it's constantly surprising us it's very much alive um you know one minute you'll pass a a group of young people that look suspicious like 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 a gang um and the next minute there'll be the christian group walking down the street and then the family with their kids and then the new trendy bakery opening around the corner i i guess the key word is alive i just feel this area is just just full of change and life and energy and and we 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 have two dogs we walk them every day down the street down border market down the canal when we go to west london this is a our, our bias but when we go to west london or, or north london it feels decidedly sort of stayed it just feels like it hasn't hasn't changed that much and um, but the kind of downside of that is that the area is um has has lots of struggles um and um there's clear tensions i mean shootings not far away from here not long ago you know we heard of another incident incident recently in london fields of of of, of a rape and it you know it, it is there's 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 clearly many many sort of social issues around um so light and dark um energy and but always always fascinating and you've got some fantastic markets, it should be said, within a stone's 
throw. You mentioned Broadway Market for for one, um, and one or two other great ones as well. Do we know anything about the history of the area? I've often wondered why it's called uh, London Fields. Is it simply that there's a bit of a park going on, or is there a, another meaning back there? We, we were just saying this morning that it's quite shameful, or at least I was, that I don't know more about the history of the area. It's something that we really need to to learn more about. But there, do you know the history behind London Fields? Is it? <laughs> Thanks for putting it out. Um, no, I, I, I think we should just come clean and say we, 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 know sh- we, we don't know an awful lot about it. But, I mean, I do know that, you know, I mean, Hoxton Square, where we lived originally, was one of the oldest squares in London. And Spitalfields was actually a fields and, and, and Shoreditch actually a large ditch apparently um where they used to throw people in um i'm not much sure more about that but it's 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 is one of the you know the oldest areas i mean shakespeare originally was working um just outside the london wall around here i believe um and you know the idea that this was all fields and people had cows and all the rest of it is is rather astonishing but um yeah, and you mentioned the markets as well. I mean, it's uh, you know on a on a perfect Sunday you can just walk um, straight from here all the way down through uh, Broader Market down to sometimes a book market on Sundays at the bottom of Broader Market, and then you go from there to um, Columbia Road, uh, the flower market, fantastic food, and then you go from there to Spitalfields uh, and, and Brick Lane as well. And it's just you know it's more than you can possibly eat or see or dream of in in one sunday um afternoon so it is amazing well we should move to some further publications i think what, what else do we have in store um should we talk a bit about the other book that we've already produced which is the first book in our illustrated series which is called illustrated east london and the first book in this series is by an artist called adam dant who is based in shoreditch um and he is an artist and illustrator a characterist um of all sorts and he's mainly known for these kind of large scale um very fanciful not a word is it um maps that he does of that are really based in history but also in this fantasy world that he produces and um, Martin actually commissioned a piece from him, a map of Hoxton Square, when we were getting ready to leave the area. And that, in a way, was sort of the jumping off point for this book, because the map of Hoxton Square um, features a lot of the people that you typically would see in the area, according to Martin and Adam. Um, and, and then when we were starting to make the illustrated book, we wanted to do one that was the 50 people of East London. So some of these characters came from the original map um, and some are new, but it's sort of a wide variety of the people that you might meet in East London from the most irritating to the most interesting um, I've stuck my finger in between two pages here because I I noticed a a subheading, uh, Flat White Boar. Uh, We've got a picture here of a chap with a a coffee bean on his uh, shirt. He seems to be pouring a macchiato or something. He's got a uh, fashionable beard. What what, what is this fella? Um, Well, should we read? um, So the, the idea of the book is that in a way it's kind of a spotter's guide to the type of people that you meet in East London. So each of the characters has text that goes along with them and this is the flat white boar um and the text about him says don't don't let the stubbly chen and lute manor fool you this barista has spent the last 15 years training in an antipodean metrosexual urban enclave and has every right to sneer at you for suggesting that your flat white skinny decaf might be just a little bit cold um that lists his typical location and also his rarity factor Oh, and there's even a, a box at the bottom that you can tick to see whether you've uh, spotted is, this person. Yes, yes. And then in the back, there's um, you can add up your score to tell how East London you are <laughs> as well. Yeah, <laughs> so there's some, there's some. I mean, Adam Adam has an amazing uh, sort of quite wild, surreal uh, sense of humour, which we want to draw upon. And um, 
We've got here the app billionaire who um, I think he's 14. Um, and it's, he's called, um, it says here, wasting no time on irrelevancies like sunshine and friends. Thad Fardwangler spent his 11th birthday writing an algorithm for options traders. Now 14, he owns a couple of refurbished Victorian mental hospitals in Hackney, which is kitted out with 200 ping pong tables on every floor to provide downtime for his 3,500 interns. So he's usually seen in old street carrying a nintendo ds but he's a pretty rare pretty rare <laughs> sighting but it was just like this was a, a much sort of lighter take on the sort of um some of the more um colorful and it sometimes uh, um sort of irritating but always uh, entertaining people and we've got the the urban creative here who earns eighty thousand pounds a year as a digital thought leader he's so far ahead of the curve he has gone around the bend he reappropriates vintage comics as underpants, which he sells on Tumblr and recently proposed to his Swedish girlfriend using a mix of Instagram and origami. He carries a 21-inch MacBook Pro, which doesn't actually exist, and he's <laughs> usually seen in Great Eastern Street. But we've got uh, a whole range of people that you might want to spot in East London, um, uh, including the teenage jihadist. Uh, and uh, we've got the, uh, the minicab tout, the lesbian sex shopper, the Hoxton elderly, the home county's graffitist, etc., etc. <laughs> on, uh, on a more realistic <laughs> level, as opposed to representational level, um, perhaps I noticed that the press releases have been coming uh, thick and fast for a, a new project, which seems to be uh, portraiture in a similar style, perhaps, to the first book we discussed, and it's called Hackney, a Portrait. So you're moving away from Hoxton, London that's Fields. Actually, that's not that's that, that's, a, that's a mock-up of the title. The actual title is Oh, I beg your pardon. A portrait of Hackney. Sorry, I've shown you the wrong. One. Um, well, that's very different. Not Hackney a portrait. No, no. <laughs> portrait of the fact that it's the people's front of Judea. Yeah, Joseph when he was young. Um, yes, it's Portrait of Hackney. It's by a fantastic photographer called Zed Nelson, who I mentioned earlier has been he lived in Hackney all his life, so he really does have a, uh, a very uh, particularly unique take on it. And it's about the kind of clashing cultures of Hackney. It's about the fact that you know it, on, on one street or even once in Hoxton Square, you know, you know, you can see a mix of the young digital professionals, the the, the new gentrified um, lot, and the people who live in the uh, local council estates. People who've lived, I mean, all in one one street, you can see so many different types of people, um, and it's about sort of questioning whether that's a good thing or not a good thing, and 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 how that's changed the area. Uh, it's a mixture of portraits and landscapes quite sort of beautiful and calm um photographs actually how does uh, I, I can hear this is going to be a weird question even as it develops in my mind how does photography deal with interiority by which i mean are, are you condemned always to be somewhere on or attempting to scratch the surface are you left having to deal with what people choose to show uh, I mean, I think you say the same about, you know, films, really. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I guess I mean, you write and you're a novelist. Um, you have the luxury of describing the inner thoughts and feelings. But um, generally, I think when we go through our life, we look at the exterior of things. We see our friends. We look at their um, exterior life. We look at the street um, and we infer from that what may be going on behind the scenes. And I think... Um, Zed's pictures are actually very, very poetic. Um, and I use that word carefully. I think they're more poetic than mine. There's a sort of a message there which you can't really put into words. And I think that's where photography can do things that writing can't. It can chime with something um, inside which you can't quite ever express. Um, and well, and there's, a, there's a simultaneity as well, isn't there? You're not restricted merely to delivering each word in sequence and having the picture accrue in that way. You can deliver an impression all at once, which is a, something that's denied a writer. Yeah, and I think I, one of my favourite quotes about photography, not, not a quote, is, you know, a good photograph is one that's not finished. Um, if a photograph is too neat and everything's properly lit and it's all done and dusted then you look at it and you go I've got it you know I've swallowed it I've consumed it I'm moving on it's the photograph where you're not quite sure what's going on you're not quite sure what may be happening outside of the frame the narrative isn't quite complete then you can 
then you can hold on to that picture and it can rest in you and it can sort of grow over time. And I think that Zed's work, I think it's very, it's quite, it's quite quiet for me in the sense that it doesn't jump out and say, you know, look at me, look at the way this is lit, look at the way this is composed, but it does make you question. It has sort of eeriness to it, which comes back to you again and again. So we're, we're very proud to be doing that book. We've talked a lot about the content of the books and the, uh, the different styles of photography and so forth within them. But what about your trajectory, Anne, in terms of the development of the books? When I look on the website, I see that there are uh, there's a virtual bookshelf there with a couple of slots left for uh, future uh, volumes. Um, and you've mentioned that they're kind of similar in size and so forth. But so, so what is your what are your ambitions in terms of the uh, the, the, the books themselves? Mm. Um, well, we are starting with these two series, as you say, they're um, the East London photo stories and illustrated East London. And in these two series, all of the books are the same size and the same format, and they are meant to form a set. And we're hoping that people will be interested in collecting all of them. And it was our intention to start off with just these two series, but we are already sort of looking forward and thinking about producing larger books, sort of larger sizes and outside of these two series as well. Um, I suppose what, I, what I'm driving at is the... The, the physical properties of the mm. books, you must have places that you want to go with how the books are put together or the the construction, not merely the size perhaps, but uh, choices that you want to think about implementing in future volumes. Right. Well, we are, even with these next two books um, that are coming out in May, we are sort of making steps forward, I guess, to um, increase their sort of... Um, desirability i suppose in a way where um in each of the so books you're, you're stapling a fiver onto the front cover <laughs> yeah, exactly. how, how, how do you Fine. make them more desirable <laughs> six pounds more yeah. that's a great idea actually <laughs> um for each of the books that we produce we produce the the regular book that you see here but we also produce 250 collector's editions for each title. And the collector's editions come in these cloth-covered clamshell box. Um, and they come as well with a signed, numbered, limited edition print. Um, and the first book that you see here, the collector's edition contained the same book as you could buy for twelve ninety five, but we're changing that up a bit and sort of upping the quality of the next collector's editions and they're going to be as you see here where they will be completely covered in cloth and debossed with an image um, attached to the front so they are sort of slightly different so we're kind of upping the production value and the I guess lux factor a bit in those so we are always looking at ways to I guess sort of move forward and um, increase the quality of the the materials and things that we're working with. I don't know if this is going to be a foolish question or not. What, what sort of audience do you get for this uh, very London-centric yeah. material outside of London? We've actually, or I at least, have been really shocked with what a wide audience we do have for these books. We launched the two books on Kickstarter in September of this past year. We were raising funds to print the first two books. And Kickstarter is an amazing thing. Um, and Kickstarter obviously has a very wide audience. Um, so just This is one of those things where it's a crowdsourcing crowd, platform. Crowdfunding, yes, crowdfunding. And it's originally an American company, but now it's um, all over the world. And they have a huge following and a huge reach. And within the Kickstarter campaign, um, I believe we had something like 450 backers who were supporting the project and either buying copies of the books or prints and things. And... Of the backers on Kickstarter, nearly half were from outside of the UK. Um, a huge number in America, but also all over Europe and lots in Japan as well. And that was something that was really interesting and really exciting for us. Because I think when we started the project, um, we weren't really sure. You know, obviously we think that East London is really interesting and amazing, but and obviously I think that sort of like Brooklyn people know about East London outside of the area, but we weren't really sure kind of how far 
it would travel and how it would do outside. Um, but even now on our website, we have a lot of orders internationally, mainly to Europe, but also to America. Australia has been quite big as well. Um, so why, why, though? Why are people interested from those parts of the world? Is it one or two of the people who listen to this podcast are folk who've moved away from the UK and like right, to stay in right, touch right. with the mothership? Yeah. Um, is that what's going on there, do you think? Or? Um, I think that to a certain degree that that is something that's a factor in it. But I think especially with the book about Joseph, um, We've hit on something that is a story about a person. It's a story about East London, but it's really so much more. It's it's not about London. It's about life. It's about um, relationships. It's about sort of old age and the changes that come with that. So I, I think that we've... I think that's why it has such universal appeal. I, I think it's, I mean, like, like with novels, the more specific it is, the more universal the appeal can be. Um, and um, if you're writing about one person, one little part of town, it can appeal to all people across the globe um, in a paradoxical way. Um, but so we're trying to keep it very personal, um, very narrative driven. And um, but having said that, we also think that East London has an appeal outside of East London in a way that North London maybe doesn't. Um, has a sort of certain association with diversity and um, richness of culture and creativity um, that we really want to be be part of. That's true. Oh, it hasn't really occurred to me until you say that. But North London really is the uh, the, the bit of town that's struggling with a. An identity, isn't it? Certain bits of it have got uh, a reputation for, for various things, but as a whole, it's not really happening, is it? I, I, I don't know. I mean, well, you're a North Londoner, sir. Well, no. Are you there? Oh, well, what, what do we mean when we say North London? Where in North London? I mean, I guess it's the simple. What, what's the simple sort of summary? You think West London? We think, I don't know. We think of the parts of it that are fairly posh, and uh, other parts that aren't. North London. I, I personally think of Camden, Highgate, um, areas around that because I know that. I think of that as. Um, pretty lively but maybe not as sort of edgy as parts of East London South London of course I don't know where it is I don't know what it is and I don't know how to get there because I'm originally from North London and we don't go to South London but genuinely it's like a it's like a black hole in my head I mean I Brixton I think I've heard of that you know but we went went to Peckham once and um, yeah we we, we didn't have a great time (laughs) I I just want to step in really Uh, we've probably just upset everybody all at once that's that's a remarkable feat (laughs) no we don't know anything about Peckham we just we, we went to Peckham we, we 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 literally um, arrived and we saw um, a, a really nasty, violent um, scene, which I'm sure is not anything to do with Peckham at all. But it was it plays right into every stereotype. <laughs> yeah. that you can it does, yeah. Yeah. And we literally got off. It was a beautiful day, and we got off, and there was a there was a horrible fight, and um, it was really quite upsetting. But um, but I'm sure Peckham is absolutely. Uh, it's great in every way, and <laughs> we, we should do books about Peckham. But no, we know we know nothing about Peckham at all. But um, yeah, we 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 love East London, and um, we, we yeah we love all the richness and diversity of it. So that's what we think. It's just occurred to me we started out by talking about all the, the uh, horrible crimes going on on your doorstep here. So yeah. probably there's some uh, poor soul in Peckham who's had exactly the reverse experience. Yeah, I'm sorry. There was a, there, there was a shooting just not you know a few hundred meters from where we were living, and it was. Um, it was a shooting outside the um, chicken shop where an uh, innocent girl got shot as a basically as a bystander, and you know that can that can happen to anyone at any time. And um, that that plays into Zed's book quite a bit as well. That, I mean yeah. that that the shooting um, on Hoxton Street is something that he talks about um, sort of in the introduction to the series as being quite. Um, formidable for him this sort of um the that that clash of um you know nice street um lots of gentrification but at the same time out of nowhere these you know horrific things do happen just to to people not connected at all i i do actually feel uneasy about it at times i mean not i don't feel threatened i feel 
almost threatened by the fact that I don't feel threatened and I'll explain what I mean because I can go out I walk my dogs out in London fields at night sometimes midnight one in the morning on a winter's night it's pitch black you know and um, out out of the darkness a kind of couple of staffies can come running over you know with all the associations you know one may wrongly have about that and there'll be a group of kids with their dogs wearing hoodies you know and nothing has ever even slightly come of that you know that i feel no i don't feel threatened by that i've never had any sort of um clash i've never felt we've never been you know attacked in the home i mean our house has never been robbed i've never been and and yet it's i i know that there's a lot of gangs around the area and i know that there's a lot of trouble associated with that and yet it seems to be a world that slips past our world very very easily and and i find that a bit unnerving you know that there can be so many different sort of parts of society that don't always connect at all um and it, it does slightly concern me and i do sometimes feel like i ought to know more about that i ought to sort of be more involved in that that sort of you know the local community and i'd, I'd kind of like to be more so but i don't quite know how I find it very interesting that you say that those things particularly as i know you mentioned you spend a lot of time on a bike which is you know puts you in closer touch than if you were in the bubble of a car for example yeah. move, moving around town and also you're clearly an observant type and you you see yeah well but you know i mean we are thinking about doing a book about um the, the gangs around here um and doesn't want to because was worried i mean no understandably worried that we don't really want to get involved in what could be a dangerous culture but um no it's it's it's, it's almost impossible i mean I, i'm a, a white middle class guy that hasn't been brought up here um you know middle-aged and why would they even look at me or notice me um I, i'm so and the police will say that they say you you're not in danger but but then you know it was my um there was a woman who was uh who was killed some time ago in victoria park it was quite a well-known incident i think about 10 12 years ago she was jogging at eight in the morning and she was murdered and um it was my father's temporary secretary at the time um so there was this kind of crazy connection you know between these sort of two worlds um i find it i just find it unnerving that that, that I, I, there isn't that access and that that meeting uh, of of worlds yeah i'm not sure whether you're suggesting that it's uh, you're unnerved by something approaching complacency or whether perhaps it's it's good that we're not constantly plagued by concern that we're able to move around and get on with our lives. I mean, it's, it's good from, a, from our point of view and the fact that we can feel safe, but I don't think it's good from a sort of society's point of view. I feel it feels like, you know, there's too much separation um, and not enough integration. It feels like um, there's glass, glass walls between aspects of society, which I don't feel should be there. But I don't know what you know, the solution would be. I don't know you know how to change that, but it just feels to me a bit unnatural. It does seem as though one of the things that might be possible with projects not dissimilar to these is that you are allowing a window into lives that perhaps people wouldn't come into contact with directly through these intimate photographs and through individual relationships that perhaps you're able to establish I, yeah I, I think we are but i just you know want to reiterate that we, we don't have a social agenda we don't have a message about east london other than that it's fascinating and it's colorful and it's full of characters and you know we're just as willing to do a, a humorous book um that sort of takes the mickey out of parts of east london as we are to do a very serious social documentary book we don't we don't want to we don't have a political message at all we're here to celebrate the character and quirk of east london well on that note and we need to start coming to a close regrettably and in order to do that of course people will want to know where they can see pictures buy books and all that yeah. jazz um well all of our books and collectors editions and prints are available for purchase on our website which is Um And you can also pick up them in a large number of shops from the major booksellers, um, Waterstones, Foils, um, as well as lots of sort of smaller independent shops in the Shoreditch area. Um, which, which, of course, are worth supporting. Yes, yes, yes. We... 
we definitely <laughs> would like for people to be buying from more local independent bookshops than Amazons and the other big shops like that. But um, it's a perfect opportunity to mention uh, Brick Lane Bookshop and yes. there's Broadway Bookshop as well. And where, 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 where else can we yeah, find independent uh, well, bookshops? Some of our favourite shops are Artwords. They have a book a bookstore on Broadway Market, but also on Rivington Street, which is um, in the centre of Shoreditch. A uh, beautiful collection of books. And um, we, we also sell at places like SCP, which are sort of design, um, furniture, homeware shops. And um, more and more, we're selling our books in, in non-bookshops, actually, um, because they're seen as sort of objects that you can buy alongside other things for, for the home, which we're really pleased about. And Wald Vogel and Martin Osborne, thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. That's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Anne Wallvogel and Martin Usborne. Thanks to, to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.